0: Listening to the Red Sea Podcast, part of the Over the Monster Network. Red Sox fans have longed to hear it. The Boston Red Sox are world champions. Hosted by Jake Devereaux. It's gone. It's into the bullpen. This game is tied. This game is tied. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. And featuring Keaton Derosier. It's a grand slam. Welcome back to another edition of the Over the Monster podcast. Um, It is telling me that it is episode 7. I'm going to take Jake's word for it and say that he actually figured that out. That this is episode 7. This is me, Matt Collins, your host. As always, I am with Jake Devereaux. Uh, Jake, I hope you are having a better day than the Red Sox media relations team. I don't know if you saw that because I know you've been out all day, but it's been... They've not been having a normal one
1: yeah, I guess that that uh, tweet about the reset button triggered some people or something.
0: Yeah, so they I mean, that was a dumb tweet, and then Dan Shaughnessy kind of called them out on it being a dumb tweet, and then the head of their media relations department uh, quote quote tweeted Dan Shaughnessy and said, "You're the worst."
1: <laughs> um and then people are
0: like hey you're the head of the media relations department perhaps you should be saying this to a credentialed member of the city's media um and then he nuked the red Sox notes account no longer exists <laughs> instead of just deleting the tweet and apologizing he just deleted his
1: account so
0: it has <laughs> <it is laughs> been a day
1: wow yeah <laughs> wow oh that's that's uh almost Red Sox stats level of sensitivity right it's, there.
0: It's pretty incredible. Uh, do you, you think the bare minimum of media relations is not publicly calling them the worst, but... Yeah, wow. Jeez. So, yeah. It's been an afternoon. The internet's a, fun, isn't it? Uh, what, a, what a time. <laughs> um, but that is not what we're going to talk about today, because I don't really want to talk about Twitter. Uh, but we are... Going to talk a little bit about the trade deadline, but for most of your trade deadline stuff, you will want to listen to yesterday's episode of the Red Seat with Jake and Keaton. Uh, They kind of went over everything. Um, Casey somehow missed it. The Red Sox made three moves over the last few days, trading Mitch Moreland to the Padres, Kevin Pillar to the Rockies, and Josh Osage to the Cubs. Uh, So we'll talk a little bit about some of the return there, but... For today, we're mostly going to focus on a little bit of news that came out after the deadline, um, and then basically reasons why we should still be watching after the trade deadline. Um, I think the season's kind of losing a little bit of juice for people, understandably so, but I would argue there are still at least some things to look forward to, so we're going to talk about that. But first, we're going to talk about the news that came out after the deadline, which is that Darwinson Hernandez went down with an SC joint sprain I think or strain um I was ever good at biology I don't know I really wish they would just say shoulder instead of sc joint like anybody there's like like what one percent of the population knows what
1: sc joint is I ain't get out of here with that someone was Um, describing it as like something in the front of the chest too
0: I just I google imaged it and I saw like an arrow pointing and it looked like it was in the shoulder area that was what the extent of my research on the injury I'm not I took biology in high school. I, I don't need to do anatomy again. <laughs> this, this is not this is not what I signed up for. But he has some sort of injury going on, which kind of makes sense. He had been throwing, uh, sitting around 93 with the fastball. We're used to him 95, 96. So there definitely seems like something was going on. I was kind of maybe chalking it up to just the late start and him not being totally ready. But it seems like there's a minor injury. Uh, hopefully he'll be back before the end of the season, although they didn't really make a timeline too too clear they did allude to him coming back so hopefully he'll be back at least for a couple weeks um but there had been speculation about him being a starter before the end of the year that was something that's something they've been talking about with him basically since the end of last season i don't really know why but i mean you gotta think that he's not gonna be a starter when he comes back right
1: yeah i don't think so um i i I think that you know, I was already not in favor of that, and the fact that he's now got some durability questions to go along with the control issues, it seems like that should be the end of that conversation, for sure.
0: Yeah, I, I definitely think it will be this year. I We've talked about this before. We're both in agreement that we don't want that ever. I kind of have a feeling they're going to do it again next year um, because there's just something about him, I guess. I mean, I, I get the temptation, he's got the frame. He certainly has a starter's frame and that stuff is ridiculous that if you can get five innings out of him at a time, you do it, but I just I really wish they wouldn't, but I would I would be very surprised if like the middle of January we don't hear a quote about them thinking about him as a starter again.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me. I still don't think it's the right thing, but it wouldn't surprise me. Uh, we do have a bit of news though. Alex Spear just tweeted out four minutes ago that uh, Andrew Benintendi may not play uh, for the rest of the year, which is actually something that Keaton and I speculated about uh, last night on the podcast. But um, yeah, Renneke just announced that today, so um, we may not see him again. Yeah, I was kind of already
0: under that impression. Um, There's really not that much season left, and he hasn't really seemed to progress at all. So... I had already been kind of under the impression that Andrew Benatendi would be back uh, in 2021. There's really, I mean, obviously, there's no reason to rush anybody back
1: for this season. Yeah, and I'm I'm thinking that's, we might not see him in the Sox uniform again. I think he's a prime trade candidate for the offseason.
0: I wouldn't be surprised, although I don't know. I guess it depends on what his health is like. I don't know that I would want to trade for a guy who just had a, terrible few weeks and then missed the season with a rib injury, but it could be a by-low situation. I am sure we will talk about that many times over the next six months or so. Yeah. Um, where was I? So we talked about Hernandez. Uh, the other bit of news was obviously they had to fill the roster spots for Pilar and Osuch and also Hernandez after his injury. Uh, they called up Yairo Munoz, uh, Robinson Leaire, and Mike Kickham. Uh, All of them are, when they make their first appearance, Lear already has, Munoz is starting. On Tuesday, we are recording this before Tuesday's game, um, Kickham, I believe, is going to pitch, maybe start, or at least be the bulk guy in Wednesday's game. Uh, They have not been up at all this year. They've been in Pawtucket for the entire season. Uh, Any of these guys, exciting even a little
1: bit to you. The most exciting to me is Munoz as a potential super utility player for the Red Sox heading into 2021, Um, because I'm kind of speculating that Jonathan Arauz uh, will go back to the minors um, next season when he no longer has to be on the active roster. Um, and, And I think that Munoz could be someone who fills that Brock Holt type of role if he plays well enough down the stretch here, because I think that Ultimately, they won't tender Peraza a contract. And, uh, you know, Munoz has been okay in the past uh, as a hitter. For the Cardinals in 2018, over 108 games, he had a 107 WRC plus as a hitter uh, with 350 OBP um, and a little bit of speed, too. So uh, I I find him interesting, um, certainly more intriguing than either of the relievers. I don't get super excited about relievers. I saved that for you, Matt. Well, kick him
0: sort of a starter, but he is definitely not an exciting one. Um, I'm
1: with you on Munoz. He is a little
0: exciting. He was pretty bad last year. Um, stopped drawing walks for some reason, which is a little strange. Um, had a 73 WRC plus. Uh, but I, I agree. He's exciting. He is a guy, like you said, who can kind of fill that Brock Holt role, at least on the field, obviously not off the field. Um, I think layer is a little bit interesting too. Um, I'm not huge on him, but I can tell you, um, Chris Hatfield of Sox prospects, just based on his tweets, loves Robinson layer. <laughs> he talks about him all the time and I mean, I get it. There is some intriguing stuff here when he's, when he's going well, he throws 95 plus 95, 96, 97 with the fastball. And he's got a pretty wipe out slider. Um, the problem is he rarely knows where it's going so there's a little bit of excitement there but it's pro I mean he's probably not going to be much of anything he's what is he 27 and this he just made his major league debut on Monday so chances are that's not going to be much of anything but when you have the fastball slider at least as a base there's some sort of chance of a breakout so um, at the very least I'm more excited about him than Mike Kickham who just seems like the same, they, the Red Sox have like twelve Mike Kickhams. We've already seen <laughs> yeah. like half of them this year. We've seen uh, Kyle Hart and Chris Mazza and Ryan Weber and Zach Godley. It's just he's he's just them.
1: Yeah, I'm over. I really want to see some good pitchers. It's really been uh, tough. I, I like watching pitching more than I like watching hitters. Um You know, it's just a preference. I like it's both. Tough to obviously. watch one without the other well yeah but you know like I just I really enjoy the art of pitching and there just aren't all that many interesting arms uh, on this Red Sox team the guy who excites me most is Valdez these days and uh, other than that it's been pretty bad so I'm done with seeing kick types I would like to kick them to the curb uh,
0: <laughs> extremely rude and one of the worst puns um, I've ever heard in my life I'm <laughs> considering hanging up, but I don't think I can do that um. Yeah, so, I mean, that's basically where we're at with the Red Sox roster. Um, I think we'll, we might talk about this a little later. Some people wanted to see Jaron Duran, Tanner Houck. That's not going to happen. I would expect we'll see Tanner Houck at some point. I would not expect we'll see Jaron Duran. But for now, we get Munoz, Le'Air, and Kickham. Um, I did want to talk a little bit about the return for the Mitch Moreland trade. Um, Red Sox got back a couple of prospects from the Padres. Um, two pretty good prospects, too. Definitely a better return than I would have expected uh, for Mitch Moreland. They got third baseman uh, Hudson Potts, former first-round pick, and uh, outfielder Jason Rosario. Rosario was a fairly big name um international signing out of the dominican the padres had a massive class i think it was back in 2016 uh he was the third guy in terms of signing bonus for that um Potts is exactly like every other corner infielder the red sox have been sort of gravitating towards the last few years uh, big time power um he's the kind of guy that puts on a show in batting practice does not make a lot of contact. He generally has been striking out around 25-plus percent of the time in the minors uh, last season at AA. He struck out a little under 29% of the time. Um, but, I mean, we've seen these guys over and over again just recently, even with Dahlbeck and Chavis, and it seems like every year they draft two of these guys, so eventually some going to work out. Uh, but Potts, like I said, the power I'm very intrigued by he's got the tools to be a pretty good third baseman big time arm solid reactions he's definitely not playing in the middle infield but um could st- should stick at third and it's really just about the development of the hit tool
1: yeah i agree um and and uh, these guys were uh ranked by the fangraphs uh prospect team eric longenhagen today in terms of where they ranked in, in terms of prospects traded. And Hudson Potts was actually the third-ranked guy on the list of prospects traded behind Tramiel and Varvra, um, And Jason Rosario was number nine. So I thought it was a pretty good get. And we talked pretty highly about Connor Seabold, and, and both of those guys ranked ahead of Connor Seabold as well, which, you know, it's hard to compare um, hitters to pitchers. But still... Um, I Seems think like Cibold a really tights, good haul. Yeah, I
0: I, I think the Seaboltite's getting hype is getting a lot of control, but um these two I definitely like. I think I'm surprised that Rosario doesn't get more love. Um I think some of it's just my own bias. Rosario is just I mean, I if I could if everybody in baseball could be Jason Rosario, it'd be like the perfect game for me. Uh pretty much no power. Uh He's never had an ISO above 0.83 in three seasons in the minors, but he absolutely flies big-time speed, plays center field very well, uh, has to work a little bit on some of the sort of fine-tuning, the mechanics and the instincts, but, I mean, he's 20 years old. Um, He's got the athleticism to stick out there and the raw tools to do it. He's got a hit tool that is pretty much what it comes down to, but he is shown it to be pretty good in the lower levels and he has just a crazy amount of patience draws a ton of walks for somebody his age he was um 20 he was 19 in high a and he walked over 16 percent of the time uh, which is pretty wild so i absolutely love rosario i did my own little rankings in the system i only had him a couple spots below pots and i wouldn't be surprised if i hear more over the offseason that by the time next spring rolls around i think he's a better prospect um he's just give me every athlete who plays up the middle and has a hit tool and i will just love them forever plus after every win he does a backflip which is just the best i did see that yeah i'm a bit I'm, i'm already in love with jason rosario
1: yeah if i uh had to rank them i would actually put rosario ahead of hudson Potts. um like you said we have a lot of guys who fit that pots profile and and i know that the power there is sexy but um i'd rather have rosario too especially in the red sox organization that is really solid at developing hitters and, and getting the most out of them i'm I'm excited by his ability to play defense up the middle um, and get on base, and I think that the power will come. He's still only 20 years old, um, almost 21 at this point, but I think that that can develop, especially as the player gets older. Um, I'm much more confident in that developing than I am a hit tool suddenly coming to Hudson and pots.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I mean, I think it depends what you mean when when you say power will develop. I think he'll hit for more power, but I think, I mean, I think we're talking about a guy who might maybe hit 10 home runs a season which i mean if he's walking like he does in the minors and he plays the field like he has the potential to that's a very good leadoff hitter which i think is pretty much the mold that you're going for here
1: yeah i think when you look across major league baseball you see more breakouts that started with a hit tool and then developed power later um it's it's pretty rare for a guy to all of a sudden have his hit tool click so I'd rather take as many shots as I can on guys with plus hit tools that haven't put it all together than, you know, guys that are still trying to figure it out.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I just, I think it's more fun game to watch too, but, um... you love what...
1: 1920s baseball, man.
0: Oh, uh, well, hmm, some of it, I... <laughs> there's some problematic uh, things going on back in 1920. The fact that it's an all white league that I don't think, come on, man, put things beyond that. the, the <laughs> style of baseball. Yeah. would probably be better for me. Um, it is worth noting. Potts is more advanced. Um, he has played a couple of seasons in double a, he played a little bit in um, 2018, got hurt, didn't really get to play much that year. So we repeated in 2019, um, probably would have started there again, and it's never a good thing to play the same level three years in a row, but he got there as a 19-year-old. He doesn't turn 22 until after the season, so these are two fairly young guys, and I believe they are both going to Pawtucket, Um, so we should be able to get some reports on them uh, as things... As they get there, I'm assuming they're going there because they're not allowed. You're not allowed to announce names unless they're in the player pool, so I would assume they have to go there.
1: Yeah, I think so. Um, and uh, Hatfield uh, and the guys at Sox Prospects speculated that these two will both probably start at Double uh, A next year, so they'll be in your neck of the woods, so you can go take a look at them if we do have minor league baseball next year.
0: Yeah, we'll, we'll see how comfortable I am uh, being in a public place next day for across that bridge when it comes. Um, yeah, so that is pretty much all we're going to talk about with the actual deadline. Like I said, uh, Jake and Keaton talked about it in Monday's episode of the Red Seat, so definitely go check that out if you're looking to hear more about that. But for the rest of the show, I want to focus on what comes now, uh, for the last few weeks since it's become clear that the Red Sox are a garbage fire, um the focus has been on what they're going to trade away what the team's going to look like come september well it is now september 1st uh we know what the team looks like not really a whole lot to look forward to in terms of wins and losses going the rest of the way so we're going to try and figure out some things to look for um as the season goes on we're gonna do a little draft because i love stealing from effectively wild um just some things. Like I said, any th- basically any reason to keep watching can be players to watch, storylines to watch, things on Nessun, um, basically anything to keep watching. Uh, you want to go first or you want me to go first? You can go first. All right. My first one is going to be um, playing spoiler. I think that there are not many good things about being a bad baseball team. But one of the good things is potentially ruining seasons for other teams, Um, particularly if you have friends who are fans of those teams. I have friends who are fans of most of the teams the Red Sox are playing the rest of the way. Um, And so anything the Red Sox can do, for example, to spoil things for the Yankees, maybe knock them down to the third seed, uh, definitely spoil things for the Rays. That would be fantastic. Um, But I... I love causing misery to other fan bases when I am miserable myself. If I am not happy, nobody can be happy.
1: <laughs> yeah, I uh, I enjoy causing misery to the Yankees. Um, I don't quite have the same passion uh, for for causing misery to the other teams in the division. And in fact, I like watching the Toronto Blue Jays so much right now that I don't know if i want the red Sox to win against them (laughs) i kind of like want to see the red Sox uh continue to lose but i i get the uh the love of of seeing the yankees lose that is
0: i really i do like the blue jays i also have friends uh who are blue jays fans and so um it would be very fun to be able to make fun of them and say you couldn't beat this terrible team and that is why you're not in the playoffs I would I would enjoy that a lot. I like I like being mean to my friends.
1: You got to admit though, baseball would be so much better with uh, Bichette and Biggio and Vladdy in the playoffs. Yeah, for sure. But I don't
0: care. I I don't <laughs> think that far ahead. I am okay. like a, I am like a dog. I need that instant gratification. I, I could care less what happens five minutes from now if I can get something okay. right
1: now. <laughs> Alright, uh, uh, my first one um, my first draft pick here for things to watch is um, the young guys on the team um, you know, seeing how Bobby Dahlbeck adjusts, that's going to be the player who I think I'm most fixated on, um, because that's the guy who could potentially be a pretty substantial part of the Red Sox future if he can show that he can hit enough um, so I'm going to be looking for him and seeing what gaps he has in his swing and seeing how he's different than Michael Chavis and and in what way he's definitely larger he's a lot larger he's a much bigger target at first base which can only be a good thing for Rafael Devers so I'm going to be watching a lot of him I'm also going to be looking at um, how Jose Peraza is deployed and I'm also sort of on the Jose Peraza DFA watch Um, and I mentioned this on yesterday's podcast too but wouldn't surprise me if Jairo Munoz starts to take playing time from him because I get the sense he's going to be a non-tender guy next year if they don't DFA him. Um, so there's not a lot of incentive for them to play them down the stretch. The other thing is going to be um, J.D. Martinez um, and, and seeing whether or not he can get it going. We've seen Rafael Devers really get it going over the past couple weeks and he's starting to look like himself. But J.D. Martinez with the Uh, opt out unlikely to happen because he's played poorly and you know he's 33 going into presumably a weak market i'll be looking for him to rebound and start looking like the hitter that he is and and then i guess the last thing is michael chavis um see if he can do anything right now i'm so out on chavis but you know he's gonna get a lot of playing time and and maybe he can show something
0: yeah i think uh First of all, I think he just cheated and said, like, 12 things, but we'll let that slide. Oh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I think the Peraza thing is interesting. I also I don't think he's going to be DFA'd just because the only the only real option to replace him, or I guess the two options, would be Jaron Duran, who I don't think is coming up at all this year, and CJ Chatham, who I'm worried about his well-being. Um, I haven't heard anything about him in months. Um, so I would like to see him over Jose Peraza. I don't know that it's actually going to happen. Um, but I will make the point with Peraza. I think this is a good time to make the point that, um, years of control only matter if you're good. Yep. And that was sort of the thing when everybody was like, mildly excited about Jose Peraza. The thing they pointed to was like, well, he could be under control for, I don't even know how many RBers he has left, like three more RBers or something. It's like, well, that's cool, but he's not good, and there's a pretty good chance of the VT are non-tendered after the season, and those years of control don't matter. And I only bring that up because uh, that's something I'm hearing a lot with Nick Pavetta, mm-hmm. and maybe they can find something with Nick Pavetta, but I'm less concerned... I think we put way too much emphasis on years of control, and not enough emphasis on is the player actually good. Because I don't really care how many years of bad players I have. Uh, Jeffrey Springs has like five years of control. <laughs> so does Robert Stock. I mean, all these guys have a ton of control, but it does not matter if they're not good. Um, so, and that's not even to pour some cold water on Nick Pavetta because he is sort of he is actually my next pick. I am sucked in on the Nick Pavetta hype. I don't, I want to be clear, I don't think he's good. I have very low expectations that he's going to be anything good, but I want to see him on the mound mainly because I want to stop hearing about the potential. Um, I think it's because there's a weirdly, there's a weird number, a weirdly large number of prominent philly fans on baseball twitter so i've been hearing about the nick pavetta hype and being annoyed by the nick pavetta hype for years now um so i kind of i want to see him start either to prove me wrong which would be sick or to just see that he's bad and so we can stop hearing about um what he can be and hopefully deploy him as a reliever because I think he could be solid in that role if he buys into it. He's been hesitant to buy into that role with the Phillies. Um, it was part of the reason he got optioned, I think, last year. There were some issues with him going to the bullpen. He didn't really want to. Um, hopefully, if he struggles as a starter down the stretch, it'll be sort of a wake up call and be like, "Hey, you don't have a job in the majors if you don't go to the bullpen." Maybe they can turn something out of there. So I am—I don't know that I'm excited to see Nick Pavetta, but I am anxious to see Nick Pavetta.
1: You know, I never get that. When when guys have failed as a starter, it just seems like a total ego trip uh, on their behalf, not wanting to, to try it as a reliever. Wouldn't you rather be a meaningful reliever than a dog shit starter, like 10 times out of 10? And especially these days with the way that analytics are valuing relievers and the way that the game is going, like dudes can make some serious coin as multi-inning relievers.
0: Well, presumably he doesn't
1: think he's a dog-shit starter. <laughs> and oh, but buddy, like, listen, you know, going to have to talk can, with him. You're <laughs>
0: not going to have an argument for me, but I mean, I would think that is, that's the logic from uh, preventing him to get there, but yeah, I mean, I I definitely get that. I think I, I will never understand how a professional athlete thinks about anything because um, I don't think it's possible for a person to be wired more differently than a competitive professional athlete than me. Um, I don't really give a shit about anything. So (laughs) I just, I can't put myself in that mindset. So I just kind of, I just kind of assume that everything I hear is correct. And I just go, yeah, that's about right. I guess. I don't know.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's fair. That's very fair. Uh, I I think he could succeed as a reliever and, I'd like to see that. I do think they're going to give him a few starts down the stretch, but maybe after that, Bloom can take him out to Chuck E. Cheese and buy him an ice cream or something and then have the talk with him about transitioning to the bullpen. Oh,
0: man. Chuck E. Cheese has to be high on the list of where I don't want to go during a pandemic.
1: <laughs>
0: There's, yeah. There can't be more than like two or three places that are worse than a Chuck E. Cheese. <laughs> Those things still open? Yeah, my nephew loves Chuck E. Cheese.
1: Nice. Yeah, I just remember uh, yeah, going there as a kid. place was smelled you know, like feet.
0: Uh, you know Chuck E. Cheese's real name?
1: What is it? Uh,
0: Charles Entertainment
1: Cheese. Oh, wow.
0: <laughs> oh, that always <laughs> makes me laugh.
1: That was a question on <laughs> Jeopardy
0: one time, and I'll never forget it.
1: All right, yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one. Um, my second thing that I'm going to be watching for is the bullpen. Um, you know, I talked about a lot of the hitters here, but... Um, with the bullpen, I'm going to be looking towards anything that I think is redeemable um, for our next year's team. And as it looks right now, you already talked about this a little bit, but Jeffrey Springs, garbage, stock garbage. Uh, we'll see with Lear. I'm not excited. Kickham is garbage. Um, and I'm sorry, he hasn't even got to yet. Yeah. But, wow. Uh, he's, he's not good. Um, if but, anyone you from know, my
0: Kickham's family is listening, I just want to... <laughs> <laughs> that was not me. I'm very sorry.
1: Yeah, that was the second shot at Kick'em today. Yeah. I really, I'm taking my frustrations out on him. But I'm going to be looking for uh, whether or not Matt Barnes can improve his control issues and just become more consistent. He's been maddeningly inconsistent over the last couple of years. And especially this year, it's gotten worse. So I'm looking for him to take a step forward. I saw looking- that he
0: said on Twitter that he wasn't a good reliever. And I just, I don't want to have a long, drawn out conversation about that. But uh, I just want to point out that that's just objectively incorrect and we can move on
1: um so over like the last few years if if you look at his performance he's got a 3.92 era and while he strikes out a lot of guys he really just he doesn't always uh succeed to the degree that you'd think somebody who strikes out so many people will because he walks too many guys so he hurts himself in a lot he's of ways in the top 30 I- in baseball
0: 2018
1: 2019 uh in all
0: three wars among relievers so unless there's only like 20 good relievers of baseball it's just just it was just an objectively a correct statement i wanted to correct
1: it i mean i don't judge pitchers by by their reliever war usually. but you do by reliever yeah right, which is interesting uh no i i do by I, I think it's important for relievers not to hurt themselves with walks and he hurts himself with walks all uh, the time i don't think i agree with that but
0: so adam avino okay.
1: hasn't been a good reliever I mean, Adam Ottavino has got a much better everything than Matt Barnes.
0: Adam Ottavino has had major walk issues in his very good seasons.
1: All right, we can have the Barnes debate some other time. But moving on from Barnes, I'm looking for him to get his control issues under wraps a little bit. Looking to you see didn't Bryce to get control. a bit more I, consistent. Sorry,
0: to interrupt you again. That was impressive though, because I always say get control <laughs> under control, and I can never stop myself. So that was kudos to you on that.
1: All right. Thank you. And uh, I'm looking to see Josh Taylor um, look more like he did last year. Um, he hasn't been bad, but he hasn't looked quite as sharp to me. And then see what Phillips Valdez can do, because, you know, Bloom is not going to be able to rebuild this bullpen all next year. So we need to have at least five or six guys um, from this year probably be part of the unit next year. Um, and I do I do feel confident that he is pretty good at building out a bullpen, even if we're going to pretty much chop off the bottom half of this one next year. So just looking to see what pieces uh, can work for next season.
0: Did you mention uh, Bryce? Because I think Bryce has been a little bit better since he had a little bit of a shaky start. I don't think he's great, but I think you can get by with him in your bullpen.
1: Yeah, I didn't mention him as one of the ones that I am presumably going to get rid of. I think there's enough good stuff there. With Bryce, that I'm going to be watching him. I don't think he's by any means a lock for next year's bullpen, but I think that if he can continue to uh, make some strides, he's somebody that I would consider, um, you know, being part of the bullpen next year.
0: He strikes me as the next Heath Hembry, the guy who's going to be on the bubble every year for like four years and just always stick around. Mm. That just kind of feels like his role. Um, but yeah, I mean, beyond that, I think I think they have five guys um, that I can see coming back next year: Barnes, Bryce, Taylor, Valdez, Brazier. Um, I definitely think you need more than that. I don't think I see anybody that I want at the top of my bullpen. Maybe Barnes when he's on, but even I, as a big Matt Barnes fan, obviously cannot um, discount what he's done, and I definitely would not want him as my number one reliever right now um i i mean i guess i'm confident in Heim Bloom building out a bullpen although i don't know why i would be or why i wouldn't be um i i don't know i feel like this is a different conversation i I mean, might be going on, on a tangent i feel like Bloom is getting way too much credit from red sox fans for what happened what's been happening in tampa bay um he did not run that front office. He was a big part of it. And I like I've said many times, I like Heim Bloom, but it just seems like everything that Tampa Bay has done over the last like decade or so, a lot of Red Sox fans are kind of putting that on Heim Bloom and it just hasn't been. So I just say that I don't think we know what Heim Bloom is, is basically my point.
1: Yeah, I think we don't know what he is, uh fully, but Even in the small sample size that he's been here, um, being able to find Phillips Valdez and being able to turn Josh Osich into, you know, a player to be named later, he's already found value off of the scrap heap. And I think we would all kind of agree that when he took over, you know, it wasn't at the point in the year where there was a whole lot of uh, moves that he could realistically make to effectively build out the team. You know, there there wasn't um, wasn't a lot of great guys on the market at that point.
0: When did he get hired? Well, see, he did get hired well, a little bit later, didn't he?
1: He got hired later, and then also the first thing that he was basically dealing with when he got hired was the Mookie situation. Yeah. And then, no, I mean,
0: I don't like. I said I don't want to say anything bad about Bloom. Um, I just, I guess, his whole strategy was to get a ton of guys, and if nobody if no if he didn't hit on anybody that would have been a major red flag but i mean he's missed on a lot of guys too which was to be expected but i mean he's missed on maza he's missed on springs he's missed on stock he's missed on um covey he's missed on matt hall um there's a lot of guys he's picked up and missed but that that was basically the strategy but i guess my only point was less about what you were saying specifically and more just it just seems like i don't know it seems like we want to give him more credit than he deserves and i I almost think that's a disservice to him because Mm. it's putting a lot of, like, pressure on his plate for him to, like... It's making him seem like a superstar when he's... He just started. We don't know what he is yet. And I just... I feel like we shouldn't be putting all that... Putting all these expectations on what he can do with the pitching staff because while he's had a couple hits, he's had some misses too.
1: Yeah, I, I think the process... Is what I'm looking at here. And just knowing that relievers can be a bit of a numbers game, I like that he's willing to throw numbers at it. You know, I just, I generally am, I feel good about his approach.
0: Well, I guess, I guess I hope that's not his approach this offseason with the bullpen. I hope he's going for
1: more talent. What do you, what do you hope he's going to go for? Do you think he's going to like, I haven't looked at the market, but I,
0: I would hope he gets somebody established in here.
1: I think what we'll see is an extremely active trade market from Heim Bloom. So we were kind of talking about who they would go after in the off season in terms of free agents this year because, you know, like they did reset the luxury tax, but I was of the opinion that if they don't go after somebody like Trevor Bauer, let's just say he only wants to sign one year deals or something like that and they're not gonna be ready to go after him next year.
0: It's a different conversation.
1: Yeah, but uh, the the point here is that I think that Heim Bloom is going to be active in the trade market uh, more than he's active in the free agent market.
0: Yeah, I mean that's that's fine. I guess I was just saying I hope with the bullpen specifically, my hope is that it's not just playing a numbers game again um, because they need some top end talent here too. I mean they don't need to sign like the biggest free agent, I, like I said, I, haven't, I have no idea who's a free agent for relievers this winter, but I mean, they don't need to go and sign like an Aroldis Chapman type, but I would hope that they get some guys who are established and not just waiver wire types and just hope that somebody they strike gold with one of those guys.
1: Yeah. I get that. I just I think the team needs to be careful with uh, dedicating too many resources towards the bullpen. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Um,
0: speaking of the bullpen, I... I am curious what's going to happen with Tanner Houck down the stretch. Um, We talked about him a little bit earlier. Um, I think we both agree that he's a reliever long-term. I'm fine with trying him as a starter through the rest of the year. Um, I would like to see him come up to the majors in some capacity by the end of the year. Um, I know that he has very real problems against left-handed hitting and I understand not wanting to throw him to the Wolves uh, until those problems get figured out, but at a certain point, you got to just see what you got. And so I if, if they don't figure out those lefty problems, I'd like to see him at least as a reliever. He needs to be added to the 40-man uh, by the end of the year anyways. I believe he's Rule 5 eligible this winter. Um, so you might as well just do it before the end of the season. But I am I am of the assumption we're going to see him, so that's one of the things I'm excited about is to finally see Tanner Hoke.
1: Yeah, I'm excited about that too. That was going to be one of the things that I mentioned if you didn't, so I'm glad you did. Um, I think I read a report about Tanner Houck working on a new pitch at the alternate site, and I'm like blanking on it, so I'm wondering if you read this too, um, about him working on a new pitch to be more effective against lefties. Uh, Albeit, I don't think that he's going to work as a starter probably, but like wouldn't you want to see a few starts from him down the stretch this year, just to kind of prove that out a little bit more?
0: If they are confident against with him against lefties, um, yeah,
1: but I wouldn't want to throw him out
0: there if they're not confident, and then have him go out for three starts and do like what Kyle Hart did. Hmm. So if I I want to see him either way, but if they're not confident with him against lefties, I'd like to just be like, let's just have you throw five relief appearances just to get you a little bit of experience under your belt and then over the winter we can get back to working with you to get better against lefties and then next year we'll start you as a starter again and see what happens.
1: Yeah. Yeah. He 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 just doesn't strike me as a guy who has a ton of development left to do. It's just that. Yeah.
0: It's whether or not he can do that because he is bananas against righties. Um, yeah, I mean that fast fossil against righties is sick. Which is why so many people think that he can be a very good reliever i think he can be a very good reliever i don't know if he's like top reliever on a like championship contender level but he's i think he can be top three on a championship bullpen um which is why i kind of just want to see it maybe he's not getting any younger next year's his age 25 season Um, so at a certain point you just gotta see what you get
1: yeah i agree um so one of the things that we talked about on the, the pod yesterday was the Rule 5 draft, and you already brought it up and, and Hauk being eligible, but you know they are going to have a little bit of a roster logjam on their 40-man next year with all the guys they have to protect, which is one of the other reasons why I'm so confident that Bloom is going to be active in the trade market because they need to protect presumably Groom, um, Hauk, Mata, Potts, Rosario, Seabold, and Connor Wong. That's seven guys they need to protect, and then there's a couple of fringy guys that they probably won't protect um, because that's so many players they they need to protect.
0: Yeah, I would have. I haven't really dug into this yet, but just thinking of it off the top of my head, there's a whole lot of forty-minute spots that are going to be open this winter too, though, because like half of this pitching staff can be tossed aside without much thought <laughs> and,
1: oh I totally agree but unless any of those guys that I just named are gonna be part of your yeah. 26 oh, yeah, man sure. you yeah. know like that's still 33 spots between these guys and the 26 man and you're only left with seven spots to play with you know that's that's a lot of guys to protect and not play so some of these guys probably gonna play
0: yeah I mean I don't, I don't know who would though I mean Hulk for sure
1: I don't think any of these guys are quite ready, aside from maybe Houck.
0: Yeah, I don't think so either. Maybe, I mean, I don't know what's going on with Long. I don't think he's ready to be a backup catcher, though.
1: I don't think so either, and I think they prefer to keep Polecki in that role for another year at least. Maybe. So those are some serious choices that they have to make. If you're going to protect that many guys that aren't ready, that's a 40-man roster crunch in its own right already. Unless you're trading some of these guys who are already who you're planning on protecting,
0: yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if we see some of these guys in trade talks. Um, I mean, like you said, that's a tough. That is a tough roster crunch, and that's why they were able to get the package from uh, San Diego in the first place. Because San Diego is sort of dealing with the similar situation with their own roster crunch, and they had a bunch of prospects they had to protect too. So, um, yeah, that will be interesting. That's something I don't think I'm gonna dive too deep into until after the season but that's definitely going to be a major storyline to watch
1: yeah for sure um all right i guess it's on to my last one this is my last one yeah um so two things uh that are kind of related to one another but i'm going to be and they're not necessarily related to the red Sox on the field so much because some of these decisions are going to be taking part off of the field but um What the MLB is going to do about the twenty twenty-one draft? I guess it is twenty twenty-one draft draft order. Uh, Yeah, the draft order. Whether or not that's going to be you know based on just this year, or whether it's going to be based on a larger sample size. They announced. I
0: don't know if you saw. They announced some of the rules. Or today they pushed yesterday. Not not for the order, um, but it's going to be. They're pushing it back to the All Star break. Okay. and it's gonna be twenty rounds, but they still, but okay. they still haven't said how many or what the order is gonna be based on.
1: Okay, so I, I'm gonna be looking to see what the order ends up being based on for that draft, and then the second big storyline, which uh, Baseball America has been doing a tremendous job of covering, is what's happening with minor league baseball for 2020, and just looking into those negotiations and whether or not the Red Sox are gonna have any affiliates change and. Whatever, Um, you know, how that whole situation is going to work out is something that I'm going to be definitely paying attention to. And uh, specifically, are the Red Sox going to have uh, the ability to send any guys to fall leagues? You know, are international winter leagues like Dominican and Venezuelan League going to take players, Puerto Rican League? Um, There's a lot of things. I know they didn't – I don't think they ran the tricky league in um, Dominican Republic this year. So um, there's a lot of – missed development for players, and I'm going to be looking to see where the Red Sox can put a bunch of these guys. I mean, the seven guys we just mentioned probably could all benefit from, from winter ball as well, so or, or fall ball, so I'll be looking for that. Yeah, for sure. Um,
0: I think it. I hate to say this because I grew up um, very close to Lowell, but I think the spinners are probably done. Um, it seems... It seems like a foregone conclusion to me that short-season ball is done other than on the complexes. Um, and I don't... I don't know that... I don't think Lowell would work as a full-season affiliate for anybody. Um, the Chris Hatfield and uh, Kelly O'Connor... We're talking about this on Twitter today. Um, they're far away from pretty much any A-level league out there, so that wouldn't really work for travel. And also, um... Their stadium is used by UMass Lowell during the spring. Uh, that was part of the agreement to build that place, that stadium in the first place. Was that UMass Lowell got to use it for their season? Um, so, I grew up going to Spinners games, but I think I think that's probably going to be the result, is that the Red Sox to Spinners.
1: Yeah, that would be a bummer. Um, I only I uh, got to really attend spinners games uh, in 2019. Um, I got a press pass and I went to a bunch of games and watched a really interesting little spinners level a bunch of times and great experience at that park. Um, So that sucks. It's, you know, if if and when that happens, this is not going to be a good thing for anybody losing all these affiliates. And one of the the rants that I want to go on is just like how crappy it is that baseball – is basically robbing the game of innovation and this isn't my own idea this is you know accumulated from things that i've read from different people but it makes a lot of sense you know the minor leagues were developed to get ahead of other teams in terms of player development and now basically what the league is doing is they're making it so everybody has to be the same and if one cheap owner doesn't want to have you know, these short season affiliates, they're going with no one can have these short season affiliates. So the lack of innovation and not allowing clubs like the Dodgers or the Red Sox or, you know, other innovative clubs to spend on player development differently or aggressively, um, I think is really going to end up hurting the game.
0: Uh, I think it's, I think the bigger issue, and that is um, spot on, that's definitely an issue. But I, to me, the bigger issue with this whole minor league thing is just taking affiliated ball out of all of these weird markets um that was the thing that baseball had that no other sport had was you could live in um some random small town I mean Lowell I mean Lowell's not a smart small town but you're not getting professional sports in Lowell but you get not just I mean they'll probably put like an independent league there but I've been to independent leagues it's just not the same as being able to say you're affiliated with um the big league so and I mean you go out to like sort of like big sky country, Wyoming, Idaho, Montana. Um, that's a total dead zone for professional sports, but they have these minor league baseball teams and some of them are going to get taken away. Um, and it's just, that's how you kill the feet, fu- your future fan base is, I mean, you, so you grew up in, you grow up in a town like that. you, become a baseball fan because it's just such a big part of your town so that's to me that's the biggest issue here is that they're shooting their themselves in the foot 20 30 years down the line
1: yeah i totally agree
0: all right well i think that's gonna do it for our draft um i do want to point out one last thing um that i mentioned on twitter yesterday but one other reason to keep watching is to listen to uh jerry remy pronounced jonathan arauz (laughs) <laughs> um, I've, I laugh every time he says it. It's a different pronunciation every time. And it is just, to be fair, it is not an easy name to pronounce um, between the vowel placements and the accent mark. Uh, but it is just listening to Jerry Remy pronounce anything that is difficult to pronounce is is a reason to watch Nessun to me.
1: Yeah, and I'm going to piggyback off that a little bit because it, re- it reminds me of how much I've enjoyed listening to Castiglione uh, on the radio this year with um, Sean McDonough. Uh, their chemistry is pretty hilarious. Sean McDonough is pretty much never a serious human being, um, and what he does on the air, giving it to Will Fleming constantly, is uh, pretty hilarious. So um, <laughs> we're we're kind of lucky with our broadcasts here.
0: Yeah, I I've listened to a little bit of one radio broadcasts this year. I don't really, I typically don't listen to a ton, but I am. Definitely glad that they got rid of that weird rotation thing that they did last year, and that was a disaster from the start.
1: Yeah, I mean, Berman was on <laughs> no, once. That's God. all you need to yeah, know. That was like
0: a <laughs> oh, like classic Red Sox. Right? Um, <laughs> all right, we got a, just a couple of questions uh, for this one, but I think they're both fairly interesting. Uh, first one comes from uh, Mike Carlucci, our friend of Mike. Uh, given the state of the rotation, is trading Ivaldi in the offseason even worth considering without a massive overpay? Um, I don't know if you guys talked about this yesterday, the Ivaldi odor rumor. Um, I hated that a lot, but I wouldn't be surprised <laughs> if Ivaldi's name does come up. So what do you think about that?
1: Yeah, that rumor freaked me out, and it was super weird because I couldn't think of how it benefited the Red Sox in any way. Also because Texas's system is pretty bad. Um and there aren't a whole lot of pitchers from there that I'd even like. Like, maybe Hans Krauss or Cole Wynn or something like that. But I don't know. It, it wasn't attractive in any way. Um, and the Red Sox have 100 players just like Runed Odor. Uh, I, I, yeah, no. They need starting pitching. I don't know why. But to answer Mike's question, uh, I would consider moving Eovaldi in the offseason if some team really likes him. But... Uh, only if it's worthwhile um, and you're going to get out from the financial commitment you think there's someone else on the market who you can get for cheaper to replace them in the rotation there's a lot to consider um, but at, if someone views Ivaldi differently than a 4 or 5 starter I think you definitely deal with.
0: I think it's something that you look into for the first 2 or 3 weeks of the off offseason um, to give yourself time to find a replacement but I this isn't something that I would be talking about all off season. I wouldn't get into like mid January and then make a trade and then have nobody to replace him. Um, so I think of not definitely not an untouchable guy, but you got
1: to have a backup plan in place. Absolutely right. They've shot themselves in the foot way too much in the last few off seasons with doing things too late.
0: Yeah, I mean there's something to be said about waiting for the right deal, but something Something Dave Dombrowski always got criticized for, and something that I always liked about Dave Dombrowski, is that he was willing to pay a little bit extra to get it done right away. And I think that's an underrated quality. There's, Absolutely. There's something to having time to make other moves, too. And as long, I mean, obviously, you don't want to give up a ton more, but if you have to pay a little bit extra to get it done a month earlier, just do it. Yeah, totally. Uh, and then the last question, which I think is pretty interesting. I'm curious what you think. Uh what combination of competitiveness, prospect and prospect development would you count would count as a successful twenty twenty one season to you? So basically what, what do you think is successful is success in twenty twenty one? And he acknowledges that there's a there's a whole lot of season to go. And also this person doesn't have a name, they just have the shruggy emoji
1: as their <laughs> display name, so um so for me twenty twenty one is successful Not really um, from a record standpoint with the Red Sox. I'm not very concerned about that. I would say that if they're winning fewer than 75 games, I would have an issue with that. I'm not expecting a return to contention. I do expect them to be like an 80 to 85 win club um, just with the guys coming back. But I'm looking for a bunch of checkpoints for 2021. I'm looking for Sale to be healthy, Uh, Eduardo Rodriguez to be healthy and whether or not he looks good enough that you can potentially deal him at the deadline if he's not someone that you're going to lock up long-term. I'm looking for one of Devers or Xander Bogarts to uh, get an extension and get their contracts figured out long-term. I'm basically looking for certainty with the roster in terms of its financial commitments headed into a 2022 Uh, class that is much better than the 2021 class. So I'm still kind of viewing 2021 as a bit of a tryout, but one where you're sharpening yourself for an actual run of contention in 2022.
0: Yeah, I think I mostly agree with what you're saying. Um, I think I care a little bit more about record than you. Um, To me, I just want to be, I just want them to be playing Competitive baseball into August. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean that they need to be like big-time buyers in July or anything like that. I just, I mostly don't want them to be miserable as we turn the calendar to July. Um, I don't want another season like this. I don't want a season that's over before it begins. I think there's some um, teams are sort of responsible a little bit to just put a product on the field that is watchable and that especially in baseball where it's such a slog and it's every day, just, like, give us a reason to watch every day and not be totally miserable. So to me, success is just being okay, Um, which I think, and that's why I said I mostly agree. I think it's, like you were saying, I would say it's probably, like, 78 wins would be the threshold. Um, And then anything under that, I would be disappointed. I know people talk about being stuck in the middle and you don't want to be in the middle, but I just I feel like that's a super NBA way of thinking and it makes sense in the nba because you need that one star but baseball is just not like that maybe football a little bit to an extent too but um i'm not really worried about being stuck in the middle and i am i i would be fine with being stuck in the middle for 2021
1: yeah i think it'll give a lot more clarity um are either of those two extensions uh important to you whether it's finally getting devers locked up to an extension or um you know, figuring out what's going on with Bogarts and his contract, uh, maybe getting something more long-term done.
0: Yeah, I mean, I would definitely like to see that. I don't think it's, I don't think it has to be done by the end of twenty twenty-one. Um, but I mean, I certainly would hope that there's at least conversations, and probably um, eh, maybe a little bit too early for Verdugo, but um, getting to a point where maybe starting to talk to him and just sort of seeing who you can lock up long-term. You don't necessarily have to do it, but just seeing kind of getting a feel for
1: that next core i guess yeah i think for me the priority is definitely Devers for this season, oh, sure. and then uh bogarts would be the next guy who i'd turn my attention to but if, if you get one of the two done this offseason i feel really good about that yeah yeah definitely me too
0: all right well i think that is going to do it for this one um we will be back with you as always next Wednesday. Um, you can follow us on Twitter. I run the Over the Monster account at Over the Monster. Jake is at Dev Jake. We write at overthemonster.com. Um, we've got a bunch of stuff from the trade deadline the last few days, so definitely go check that out. And we are not going to be slowing down through the rest of the season. Uh, did I forget anything this time?
1: Uh, just uh, if you're writing anything new. I have no idea what I'm writing. Neither do I. So look for some written content.
0: Yeah. (laughs) To be determined later.
1: All right. All right. We will see you next week.